I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. back on this next episode with an extra sense of fondness. Probably because it was the last episode I recorded before the coronavirus arrived and promptly sent us all to our rooms. Since then, I haven't really had the wherewithal to host any new episodes with remote guests. Whether I rally and do so remains to be seen. But if there was one guest whose calm and reassuring voice we could all use at a time like this, it's gaffer James McMurchie. Sounding like a cross between Jeff Goldblum and Charlie Sheen, James and his distinctive voice could have very well gone into radio, but his heart called him to film. James moved west as a young lad and started his career in the lighting department, quickly moving up the ranks into the role of best boy and then gaffer, where he's now into his 20th year in the IATSE union. He's worked on both CW television series Supernatural and Supergirl, along with feature films such as Star Trek Beyond and Tomorrowland. We discuss the concept of poor man's process in film, what it was like shooting at NASA in Florida, and how he feels about the industry now as a reluctant yet well-deserved veteran. For all you film folks out there, I can't get you back on set just yet, but this is the closest thing for now. Here's James. James, hi. Hi, Colby. Welcome. Thank to, you. To Vantropolis. How are you this morning on a Saturday morning? I'm good. Yeah? I'm really good. You worked last night, you told me? Uh, barely night. We were done shortly after 7 o'clock. That's pretty good. No Fridays. Uh, we're a strange show. We haven't done a Friday in two years. Well, that's good. We'll get into that. Because Supergirl, what, it's going into season six after hiatus? Is that right? Uh, season six in Vancouver. Where are we now? Oh, right. Because they did the first season in L.A. That's right. up here for season two. That's right. But you're going into season six after yes. hiatus. That's yeah. amazing. So, you know, obviously my intro will give it away, but you are a gaffer, and we can get into all of that, the loaded word gaffer and what that means. Um, but I really want to get into kind of how you got into film and sort of your story, because I really think people resonate with that part of um, this podcast and, and, and film life is how your journey got you to where you are now. I think you're an Ontario boy, right? I, I am. Woodstock, Ontario, uh, which... Small town, 30,000, and has produced quite a few film people. Really? Yeah. There's uh, another gaffer, now a DOP that came from there. There's a production manager in Toronto. There's ADs. Did you know them then? In completely unrelated ways, and none of us knew we were going to take that direction That's in so different funny. parts of Canada. Wow, something in the water. Yeah. <laughs> Short version, I found photography as a teenager. I loved it started scooping up lights wherever I could, and a friend and I would set things up with no idea what we were doing in his basement. And That's kind of the funnest way to start, though. Oh, it was a blast. It, it was, when you know too much, it's kind of, it almost ruins it, right? I had no idea what I was doing. Turned out a friend of mine had an uncle in the business on the West Coast, and I wrote him a letter that he still has to this day. He's now a director of photography. Hi, Barry Donlevy. Amazing. And the line he won't let me forget is... 
I would like to get into the gaffing business. Oh, that's so and sweet. And I didn't even know what a gaffing Gosh darn was. it. Gosh yeah. darn it, James. And how old were you? I was 18 at the time and knew I was going straight into the workforce. And how did you even know what a gaffer was? I looked it up online when the internet was really new. I know, it was really new. And we talk about that a lot in here, how Google has a, like, it's a game changer for wanting to know what jobs are and where you can learn about them and go to school for them. Yeah. And back then, you had no, like, you didn't have a clue, really. Oh, we had know? no idea what the film industry was in my little dairy capital of Canada town. No. So you wrote this letter. Wrote the letter. Um, I was buddies with his nephew. And on a wing and a prayer and 500 bucks and a plane ticket, I... Came out west. That's amazing. Had you been, okay, this is like, I don't want to make you as some like backwoods hick, but like, had you been on a plane and stuff before that far? No. Okay. Backwoods. So that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. I right? left town, never came back, and I landed in this guy's kitchen just going, what am I doing in Vancouver? And he said, what are you doing in my kitchen, nephew? Why didn't you tell me this person was coming? Oh, no. I was only supposed to be there two weeks, six years later. I Six years. Finally moved out of his house. I said, "Whoa, I've got Arrested Development, dude. I got to get out of here." <laughs> and where did he live? Uh, East Van. Okay. Yeah. So the heart of Vancouver, and like when it was still cool and not oh, shitty. It was a blast. Yeah, just above the Cache Tunnel. You, you can be like, there was a time. Raise your fist, right? Uh, shake your cane. I have a cane that I shake about Vancouver, but we won't get into that. It's, I'm fifty-fifty, half Ontario, half. Oh, I just mean how much it's changed, how much Vancouver's changed from when you were here, even landing till now. Like it's transformed the city, not I'm for the better necessarily. Night and day, it's all. I just think of it as glass and steel now. It's true, and that's a different podcast. That'll be version yeah. two where Colby bitches about you know development and urban planning, the loss of the the loss of the old Vancouver. We won't mourn that today. So, so you're living at this guy's house, and like, did you, I guess you didn't really have any film schooling, which is not, like, uncommon. Nothing. I got a job washing dishes at Red Robin. Red Robin! That was a rite of passage for teenagers. Yeah, and started You probably washed some of mine, sorry. Uh. Clucks and greens. I used to eat those all the time. It, oh, God. I remember <laughs> prepping those things. Um, Don't tell me how they were prepped. Uh, no, we were clean. Okay. Really good. Okay, good to know. Because um, there's still Red Robin now. There's one in Guilford and Surrey. Unbelievably, they renovated it. No, I know. I, no. I want to go back just for old time's sake and get no. some clucks and greens. No. <laughs> Don't do it. So you're washing dishes. Washing dishes. Started volunteering. I figured out what a call sheet was because Barry would leave them lying on the kitchen table. Yeah, I stocked them too, my husband's. But now they're all digital. Back in the day, you could stock a film set. Yeah. And he caught me one night after I was done my shift at Red Robins and he was working late on Millennium. Now, that was a big one for the city. That was, yes, a spinoff, X-Files spinoff. Yeah. And he caught me stalking around the barricades, just kind of poking my head around, and he brought me right onto set next to the monitors, and I said, this is what I really want to do. You just knew. I just knew. Yeah. Got into it. You knew in your home, right? Oh, yeah. I have, I'd never even played with a film camera before. I just loved the technical side. And lighting, it's the... Who picks that as a kid? Well, it's very specific, you know? Yeah. I would agree. Like, I think when people go into film, what, what I've heard in here, too, is like, I want to be a director. I want to be a writer. I want to be a producer. And without even maybe knowing what those things are, right? But not necessarily knowing the specialized departments that are also worlds of their own, you it know? photography. It was just the technical aspect of photography. I just loved it. Still do. Yeah, of course. So... 
so you're working at Red Robin. You've been on the set. Like, what did you? How did you kind of get into starting to be able to work? Obviously, you're volunteering. Where did you volunteer? Give volunteered your- at Paramount, which was a rental house that used to be in town for lighting equipment. Got into William F. White's. Volunteered there, and one day they just called me and said, "Do you want a gig?" Wow! And, and just for people that don't know, William F. White's is a lighting house, right? So just so people understand, maybe break that down a little bit so they don't have to hear me do it. Lighting and grip equipment. So all the cable, all the fabrics that are used, all the specialized clamps and devices for hanging and supporting the lighting equipment. A lot of steel, a lot of heavy, heavy, sharp things. Is in a warehouse, and you rent yep. it, right? Yep. So you back your truck up in the lighting department. You rent it all. You check it off your list. You drive away and take it to your set. You use it, and then you return it. So I don't know if people always think about it that way, that they might think you show up at a set, and it's all there. It's a massive Right? Industry. Same with props, and yeah. same with all these greens and trees. Like, you go and get all this stuff, and your department is responsible for going to get it, but it doesn't all exist on the set. No, because production's don't want to buy it, they're making a final product of a television show or a feature film, and that's their product. They don't want to be responsible for all these bits and bobs that it takes. They just have an one budget for an end-finished piece, and they don't want this assets yeah. to accumulate. Which is interesting, because arguably it costs more to rent it all and take it all back with all the labor and everything, but I get it. It's a lean machine. For the cost of repair, the cost of maintenance, the cost of storage, True. and technological changes True. are happening yeah. every year. You're right, expertise too. obsolete. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're volunteering at these houses, which is cool. I, I, that's a lot of stories where people were at rental houses, being because you're getting all that exposure of people... You know, beep, beep, back in the yep, truck. Who are you? Drivers, it's best boys, it's gaffers coming in there, and you're shaking hands and yeah. panting like a puppy dog, going, yeah. take me, take me, take me. Of course. And one day someone says, hey, I know someone doing a freebie, or I've got a commercial this weekend, and you go, you take that chance, and again, you're... It doesn't happen sitting at home. No. Right? Which Res- I think is still the misconception that it's just going to come to you. Resumes don't work. No. you got to go put your face Hustle. out there, and you've got to build a name for yourself. Yeah, yeah. All our horrible reputations that we carry. <laughs> you don't have a horrible reputation, James. I've asked. I've looked. I've dug around. I, mean, I haven't found anything yet, so it must be very hidden. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, spent a couple of years at the rental house, uh, working weekends, me and my buddies that I met there, because I was still fairly new in Vancouver, just a couple of years in. And basically built my family out of that rental house. Just got to know people, and the boys and I would hustle and help each other. Hey, I can't do this. Can you do this? And Trial by fire, really. Like learning on the spot. And then one day you take that jump and go, I'm going to leave a full-time job and do this insane contract work where I'm only booked for one day at a time. How am I ever going to make a living doing this? And 20 years later, you go, how do I get out of this? <laughs> is this is this over yet? No, I love it. I'd never leave. No, I feel like it's a cult film. Like, people don't want to leave. It's very exhausting, but it's almost like the circus in a way, you know? Very much so. Right? Yeah. You're sort of a, a weird patched-together family that rolls along to the next town. Misfits. Misfits. As I'm sure you've Yeah, my brother said that too, right? He couldn't work in a regular 9 to 5. He's like, this is the job for me. So do you remember your first day sort of on set that was like a big deal to you? 
and sort of what that role was like in lighting. And we can go through the levels of lighting because I think that's a helpful guide for people in terms of the electrics department, ELX. I can't remember my first lighting day. I was a grip first. Tell everybody what a grip is. Okay, a grip is production support, camera movement, safety, and in North America, they shape lighting. They work side-by-side with the lighting department. And where we just put up big, broad strokes, they will come in and with flags and devices and sculpt it. Yeah, which I didn't really realize, even with a husband in lighting, that, you know, there's a whole other piece of that, like, infrastructure to put the lights on, you know, to have them on things. That's all the grip department, right? And they do so much more. They support every department. You need a box to stand on. You need something heavy strung up. Everyone just turns and says, oh, get the grips to do it. They are the jack-of-all-trades Part construction, part fabricating, part artist. Good, good husband to have. Uh, or wife. <laughs> or wife. Thank you. Thank you. That's a very good point. Or wife. You know what? It's been so male for so long, it's hard to undo that in my mind. But you're right. It's, there's so many more women now in these roles. And lighting as well, which Tony says all the time. Like, it's amazing. It's awesome. It, it's nice to see the variety. It was very male-dominated when I started, and now... We've got a few gals that work with us on our set, and I would have them by my side any day. They are great. It's labor-intensive, but that doesn't mean women can't do it. But it is a heavy labor job, right? Like, you you can get a lot of fatigue on your, you know, overhead shoulders and arms, and people don't think about that, all the cables. It's physical. We're climbing, doing, I like to call it ladder yoga, climbing ladders, twisting around, doing crazy things, and it's loads. You're pushing uphill all day long. Yeah, so talk to me a bit about that role. You know, like when you're starting in lighting, what you're called like what? Like what is your title? Meat. <laughs> lighting meat. Yeah. You hey are, you, hey you. You're a body that carries tools right. and pushes heavy boxes. And supports kind of the rest of the team. Yep. Yeah. And you're watching obviously and learning. You're watching and learning. Yes. Yeah. There are classes out there, there are and I support them. I think they're great, but nothing's going to teach you what it's like until it's two in the morning, pouring rain, you're new, you've got really poor rain gear, if anything. Oh God, I know. And someone's yelling at you to hurry up and you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when it gets busy, that is a reality, right? You start getting day calls. And to your point, like people that maybe haven't done freebies, haven't done some other stuff, some indie stuff to get some hands-on experience are like deer in headlights. Yep. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to watch my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also involved in the union and training is a huge thing for us. Yeah. So trying to get people knowledgeable about what they're doing because it becomes a, it can become a safety thing. You Absolutely. don't understand all this machinery that's swinging around you and it's a construction site. Yeah, it is. It can be very dangerous. I mean, really, there's not that... It's pretty safe from what I've seen. I don't really hear a lot of incidents. There's a lot of checks and balances now. We're a lot better nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty cowboy when I started. I think a lot of things were, right? Like, look at advertising with, like, drunken lunches. Like, that doesn't happen now. Um, or does it? No. My friends, call me in 1-800. Let me know if you had a drunken lunch in advertising last week. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you're starting kind of, you know, in that support role in lighting. But talk to me a little bit about, like, what that role is as you kind of move up, you know? I mean, I know it, you know it, but let's tell everybody else kind of what what, what lighting is. You know, because you're not, are you making decisions about lights? You know, like, as you move up, you are, maybe, if the DP is wanting that collaboration. But how do you support that artistic side 
in terms of lighting? Um, actually, on the job, uh, you don't. It's a hierarchy. Okay. If you're a lighting person, your craft is to safely, neatly, quickly set things up where you're told. And have the experience to maybe have some initiative with it. But there's not much creativity. You're executing. Yes. That's the perfect word. You're not not being creative until you're gaffing. Right. For me, I became a career best boy for about 15 years. So let's talk about what that is. It's such a lovely name. It is. It's my best boy. Best boy, and it's exactly what it sounds like. in the olden golden days, yeah. it was best send me person your now. Best boy. Send me uh, your best boy. Assistant chief lighting technician. Actually. Oh, there we go. There That's we go. The That's the 2020 name. PC friendly. Oh my goodness, what a mouthful! And everybody says that on the radio. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Um, they say James when it was you. Oh, I hated the sound of my own name. Yes. Um, best boy. Oh, and again, an old term: manpower and equipment. That's, right. Uh, Scheduling. Scheduling. Right, booking people, finding all the people, filling the holes of people. Maintenance of equipment, making sure the equipment's there, working on time, logistics, dealing with other departments, your part accountant. Which is interesting, right? It's very, very different from being on set. Like, I know you're on set as a best boy, but you're kind of away. You're squirreled away by the truck, right? You're on your own, and that's where you start to see the separation of people because it means you've shown initiative, you've shown aptitude in, hey, I want to do this for a living, and I don't want to be told what to do all day, so you're running around like a goalie just trying to deflect the pucks that are being thrown at you all day. And you're the go-to for the gaffer, so if the gaffer, that's your go-to, right? Like, I need this, there's a problem, tell the guys or girls this. Sort it out, go prep this. It feels like you're never living in the moment, you're either one step ahead or one step up behind because you're cleaning up what was just done or you're preparing for what needs to be done. And what's interesting about that role is like like management for example is you're not doing much like you're not you're not the doer of the stuff on set anymore. And I think that's a like a divide there that some people maybe don't understand like you know if you're in electrics in the lighting department, you know, there's rigging as well mm-hmm. which we can get into an on set. So rigging would be more prep, right? You're prepping a location like a you know, a Whatever. Laying in the infrastructure for cable and electricity, putting the big broad strokes in. Okay, we need a light on that hill in a machine. So you park the machine, you put the lights in it, you get it all prepped, and then the shooting crew comes up and you go home. Yeah, you kind of hand the baton off. Yeah. And then main unit, obviously, you're in the heat of the action, right? So I know Tony's told me times where, you know, everything stops and they're like, Tony, change that light and put the other one in. And then they all just look at him and wait. And he's just like, if you can't take that pressure of everyone literally looking at their watch being like, hurry the fuck up, right? You go to Every rigging. <laughs> minute counts. And I love the scramble. I live for Well, that. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a high, right? Oh, definitely. Like, and rigging doesn't have that necessarily because you're before or after. Yeah, it's more of a construction gig. You've got a blueprint, you've got a layout, you know what you're getting into, whereas you develop coping skills with a shooting crew because yes. you're just injected into an environment and told, okay, deal with this. Yeah. Which is great. Well, you, it's, it's, there's some adrenaline involved in that. Yeah. You know? And as the best boy, you have to deal with it all. The boss can't deal with the 
crew on set. He says, get in here, fix this. Right, yeah. So if it's a broken machine or a broken anything, you're bringing in all that experience, and you fix it now and walk away. And the best boy doesn't touch stuff on set, right, in terms of, like, actual lights? Oh, we do. You do? Okay. We can. Yeah. We, we go in there. Because uh, I know it's very church and state with roles and, and departments and, like, what you do and do not do, what you do and do not touch, even within your own department and role, right? Uh, the best boy should be able to do everything. Step over, step in, take over for the boss, um, do the lowest guy's job, and step back and do his own gig. So how did you like it? How did you like doing that? Because how many years would you have been in lighting before you kind of moved into that, just to prove that point of takes time to get there? I'm a bad example. I did it quickly. <laughs> well, you're not a bad example I, because film doesn't have the same path. So I wouldn't say there's a specific role and, and timeline for that role. I was only a couple of years. I saw the job, and I knew that was what I wanted. And it's also a bit of job security. Right. You're, you've got a boss. He's working all the time. There can only be one best boy. Uh, yeah. Where you have a lighting crew, right? And you might have four, ten, depending how busy it is, 15 guys or girls on a set at any given point, and they might not get called back tomorrow. Yep. We all know that, right? But the best boys always got to be in. Yeah. So it was, it was great. I had keys. I remember one summer I had keys to, I think, 12 trucks. I was besting for that many people. Wow. I was like the go-to guy. Oh, my guy's gone for a week. James, come cover him. James, come cover him, plus my regular gaffers out there. So. Wow, that's pretty good. That's a lot of keys. It was it's a lot of trucks. It, Where do these trucks get parked? They're on the lots at night or on well, sets? They never stop moving. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if you're on the highway on a Friday night or a Saturday, you see them all leaving. The big white trucks on the highway. Yeah. Yep. Um, More familiar here now for sure. You see them all the time. Uh, the makeup trucks, the you know movie star change room. What are they called? Dressing rooms. Vancouver Mobile. Yeah, exactly. And like that wasn't a big thing 20 years ago. You know, you might see one and it, everybody would look out the Look, kids, there's a movie in town. I feel like coming home on that when we do work late, it's cops, drunks, and movie trucks. That's the only thing <laughs> on the highway after midnight. That's amazing. Cops, drunks, and movie trucks. Hopefully not all in the same vehicle. Yeah, or movie crew coming home from work. Yeah, yeah I know. It's true, right? Yeah. I feel like if you got stopped in a DUI like situation, you were in film, they're just, it's like a restaurant worker. They're like, just go through. Uh, they often do. Yeah, they're like, we know where you've been. They'll, sometimes they recognize us or they just see the junk in our car like a walkie-talkie or the, the, we've got parking stickers on our vehicles and they'll go, oh, you just wrapped. Okay, go. Yeah, exactly. They know, right? Yeah. And you're so tired. They know your turnaround. So what shows did you best on? Do you remember? Like, there must have been a million of them. Uh, yeah. Um, You're a veteran, whether you want to admit it on here or not. Uh, where to start? Uh, I did commercials yeah. a lot. I did commercials for 15 years. Oh, um, I have a thing about commercials. You did Barbie commercials, James. I did Mattel toys, <laughs> lots of pink, all I the girl toys. I got some intel on this. Yep. How was that? How were Barbie commercials? I need to know. They were great. Yeah? We became a family. They were tough in the beginning. Uh, really long, grueling days um, with a lot of expectation. And the expectation never left, but after working together, props, makeup, the director, the DOP, everybody all together, we were so tight. We were a family. We easy 10-hour days. Because of kids, right? So you uh, can't have super long days with kids necessarily. Yeah, you can. You just rotate them out. Well, Get true. a new one. Get another one. Do we have another child here that can hold this Barbie? Yeah, we're going to do product shots now. Right. We're do, there's always stuff to do. But 
Yeah, my time on Barbie was fantastic. You might have known my friend Ginger, who was a script supervisor on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I did. That's amazing. Yeah, See, it's such a together. small world. Yeah. Now I work with her husband, which is, it's like such a small world. Um, but I remember her working on all that, and she said the same thing. It's just grueling. Yeah. Uh, the last five years, they were fantastic. They organized them into blocks. So when people think of commercials, they think of them as quick little two-day jobs, but ours became month, month and a half long. Because we would do Polly Pocket, um, Mommy and Me, Barbie, Monster High, and they would just have them all lined up. All the product would come in. and All studio mostly, right, obviously? All inside, warm and dry. Pretend houses? Like, did you build sets for, like, you know, when Sally's playing on the living room floor? Always. Always. Little three-room or three-wall sets. Where were they? Just in a studio somewhere here? Um, we bounced around for a while, and then our home became the Peony. Rollerland. What? Funny, it happened. There was no studio space in the city. And the production walked through and said, okay, we'll work with this. And then we just kept it. We just kept going back there and back there, and they would book it far enough in advance. We always had it. It's Uh, fine for sound and stuff? It's a Barbie commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Little Billy's like, hey. Sound guys. Hey, I heard a car going by. Uh, No, it was fine for sound. Um... And You're right. It's not the most discerning audience. It was a lovely place to shoot because it's a giant park. Yeah. That was half the reason I think they picked it because we'd just all go walk around at lunch. Of course. And hang out together. Yeah. Because a lot of these studios are like, you know, when they say Studio City in L.A., that's what it is. It's just a series of warehouses and roads getting to them, you know. Yep. It's not the most uh, supernatural British Columbia. No, it was great. And our little, like I say, our family would go on walks at lunch. Or Did you get free swag? Did you Myself. not have to buy Christmas gifts for lots of years? Um, I was only nephews at that point. Okay, fair so enough. They didn't want Polly Pocket. No. no. <laughs> I know some people might have had some stuff that fell off the back of a truck. But, yeah, exactly. Um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Save that for the collector's items when you're like 80. Put mm-hmm. it on eBay. So, so commercial land is also very different from TV and film, right? It's a different beast. Dip, well, because it's shorter term... Gigs, whereas if you're doing a television series, it's 10 months, it's 12 to 14 hours a day, and it's just a machine. Um, commercials super quick. Everyone, the crews always vary because it might be a different director, different producer, different technicians working together, and it's this quick, exotic thing, and then you move on to the next quick, yeah. exotic thing, as opposed to... But you're also hustling for work all the time. Maybe not on Barbie, but... You're only as good as your next gig, right? Very much so. And it, it's very competitive. Yeah. Everybody wants into it because it's... Some people see it as more lucrative. Um, I enjoy the benefits of a union job. I like my yeah. medical. I like my dental. I like being under a collective agreement. Yeah, as of course. to constantly... It's like contracting, being a general contractor yeah. and having to go after a client and go, hey, you didn't pay me from yeah. two months ago. And And like... Race to the bottom with prices, I hear, too. Like, you know, there's lots of cost um, comparison and, like, trying to get deals. And that just doesn't really happen as much. Not that you would see um, on TV and film. That happens way before. Everybody thinks they get a special deal. And you're not getting all these clients. Like, on TV and film, you're not necessarily having people going, I don't like the way this, like, that doesn't happen. Right? Maybe the odd producer. I don't know. But I know from working on commercials, you have a lot of clients standing there with their hands on their hips. By committee. Yeah. Filming by committee. There you go. That's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah. Which can kill some people. Like it just it's, it can be a soul sucker. And because those people 
don't know the machine of filmmaking. Right. So, oh, I don't know like, how it looks right now, so let's change it. Well, it's not done right now, yeah. so if we change it, we're starting again. You're educating them on film, and yeah. it's like, why am I doing this? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you obviously left commercial land because I have a long list of your other credits. Oh, my God. You're my <laughs> I want to talk about some of these other pieces. So obviously, let's get back into you. So you moved into gaffing. So just to break it down for people, it's like the chief lighting technician who's responsible for sort of the execution of the lighting for a production, right? And sometimes a bit of the design depending on the DOP, which is the cinematographer, right? So you're working alongside that person. Working alongside that. And it's also like chief electrician. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask that too. What kind of education in terms of like, I know in the UK, it's a lot more strict apart like from needing to know an electrician background. I don't think it is here, right? Um, No. Here you learn on the job. We do have to have certified uh, electricians on site. On site, yeah. But the bulk of us are, I'm educated strictly at work. Yeah. I've learned so much about electricity and you can still be the head of the department and not have an electrical ticket. Yeah. Like me. Yeah. As long as you've got a good electrician standing next to you who right. can back up your work and keep you in checks and balances when you're going, put a light here, put a light there, do this, do that, and they go, uh, you're all out. There's there's no more gas in the tank. You and so that's you're talking like the generator, which is generating all the power for the set, right? Yep. And so the Geniop, which has come up before on here, in jest sometimes, um, you're, you're plugging into that. That's your power. That's the power for everybody, right? Yeah, and that's... You're not just doing the lighting as a gaffer. You are thinking about supporting the production. You're plug. Oh, where are the trucks going to be? Where's the catering going to be? How are we going to get this cable, this power to the other side of the street? Oh, we can't. You can't cross that street with power, so you have to get another generator. Right. And, all, and if you're walking in the city, you'll see all the big black cables strolling along the yeah, sidewalk the and the gutters. gutters. <laughs> Yeah. Which is always fun in the downtown east side on a rainy week, on a rainy Friday night, right? There's a certain aroma yeah. that comes out of the concrete, yeah. And then it's pouring, and I always wonder about, it like, like shocks, you know? Tell me about that. Like, what is the shock? Have you been shocked? Everyone's been shocked. Okay. If you work in lighting, you've taken a hit. Um, water is actually fairly non-conductive. It's when it's got minerals in it that it's conductive. So in the winter when you're salting... Oh, okay, right. You, you just look at a piece of cable and you get a buzz. Really? I mean, how much? How much are you getting off that? Measurement wise, what's the most you've? What's the biggest no zap you've ever had? Um, I think it's measured in explanatives. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember that time? There's been too many. Yeah, fair I, enough. I do remember I had a friend who took a really bad hit. Uh, it was a piece of equipment that was faulty, and when I was putting him into a shuttle to go to the hospital, he said. Jimmy, I saw blue. Oh, no. Like, yeah, you're going to the hospital. I love you. Please oh. don't, don't die, Danny. Yeah, I don't think there's been any, like, severe, you know, deaths and stuff to do with that. But it is, you're dealing with electricity, yeah. you know. And, like, a lot of power. Like, some of those lights, you know, Tony always talks, like, 4Ks and 2Ks. And, and I was like, is that thousands of watts? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, like a K, like a thousand. A thousand. Um, a friend of mine was just on a film set. They had, I think, 18 generators. 18. The capacity for three million, over 3 million watts. Wow. If you want to put it like that. Yeah, it was a big, big rig. Just There's photographs on Facebook. Of, it looks like a rental house where all these things I think I saw that. Some well, This was a woman's post. But yeah, it was like a row of them in a park or something. And yep. Insane. What, yep. are you, what are you powering with that much stuff? What are you doing there? I believe they were powering lightning strikes. Ah, okay. Big ones. Uh, those are... Funky, huge, basically 
strobes. Uh, each one was 250,000 watts, and they had something like 10 of them. That's um, insane. Uh, yeah, it is. What's a big light that people would know, like, in a stadium to compare? You know what I mean? Like Nothing. 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 Those are such one-off machines. The bulbs are handmade, blown wow. by some craftsperson in California. Wow. Uh, they were using 100,000, yeah, 100K soft suns as well. Six-foot-long bulbs that have, I think, a 12-hour lifespan, and they cost something like 10 grand. You don't want to be dropping that on set. Oh, no. As nope. a best boy, when someone goes, I broke a light bulb, you just, you just cringe and go, which one? Which one? Was it the 60-watt one that you put in the house, <laughs> or was it the $10,000 one that I have to get shipped from across North America? Right. Yeah, because, you know, there's so many different kinds of lights and lighting, you know, like there's the big, and and there's those bounce boards that like simulate daylight, you know, like if you see a building at night and you see lights and that, those kind of white, maybe they're not called bounce boards, please correct me, but those big white things. Reflectors. Reflectors. Bounces, bounces, you're bouncing light off it and it just, it makes a really soft ambient glow as opposed to some hard light pointed straight at you. Yeah, and, and you're also shooting like sometimes at night in a building, but it needs to be daytime coming through the windows, right? Yeah. You don't always, can't control the time of day. Uh, no, but you can control the lighting, and that's the, one of the worst part about our jobs. Oh, we're going late. That means the lighting department's getting busier because we have right. to make it brighter and brighter and brighter. Yeah, people joke about like summer day shoots, and they show like lighting guys laying on the grass. <laughs> Those are good days. Right? I love those days. Because they're like, we don't need you. We have no. daylight till 10 o'clock. I've started calling those days uh, power management days. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's a good Very way. Very important role, power management. Today. Power management. Just spinning it. I love it. Yeah. We don't get a ton of those, but why, I mean, it is warming up here now. There will be a lot less dark, gloomy, you know, days where you don't see the, the sunlight at all, which is common here. And a lot of rain here. And I always wonder about American crews wondering about lighting up here. I don't feel like they light, like they get it. With the rain and the lighting. They get confused by it. I have worked, I've matched Americans on commercials, matched being, they bring up a gaffer and I'll be a gaffer. And we're side by side and the rain will come out and they're like, oh, well, we got to shut everything off. Not where I come from. And we just, we've got our own methods for protecting the lights and the gear. And You're like, we get zapped up here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, but the, everything's going to break. And we're like, no, you adapt. And how do you adapt? Um, you cover stuff. We used of all things, roofing paper, tar paper. Oh, really? It's fairly flame resistant. It takes a lot of heat, and it's cheap and disposable. Yeah. Same with, like, tarps, tarp land. Yeah. yeah. We just make little tents and wear really expensive rain gear. And you do. Deal with it. This television show has been brought to you by Arcteryx. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember we had um, a manufacturer come in with a new light from Germany, and they were showing it off. It was a big, shiny new thing. And a bunch of best boys were all huddled around it at the rental house going, oh, look at this. And someone piped up and said, so what do you do with it in the rain? And the guy says, well, you'd never use it in the rain. And it was like, poof. <laughs> he was suddenly standing by himself. We all just walked away and said, yeah, figure that out. Okay. Come yeah, that's not. Later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so funny, right? They don't even think about that. And Vancouver's like one of the top four now. So that's a reality. You know, yeah. there's like LA, New York, Toronto, Vancouver. It's not a it's not a little brother anymore. No, and you just shoot with it. We'll make big ring cover. If it's a feature film, something with a little more money, and they have very specific looks they want, you build in weather cover into your schedule. So you've got a stage with a set standing by that's always ready to shoot. 
needs to be shot somewhere in the schedule. Like a backup plan. Yeah, it's a backup plan. Okay, the weather's terrible today. Let's go to the studio. And as soon as the weather clears up, you go back to that location and film it there. But most TV shows, most of the standard stuff in town, you just shoot it. I know. You're so hardy. We have our special effects brothers who just make it wet all the time. They've got trucks standing by, and they keep the streets soaked so that the streets never dry up. (laughs) Even when it's not raining, it's raining here. Watch Vancouver television. The streets are always wet. It's true. That came up with Kurt Jackson, I think. It's just like it it reflects the lights better. It looks nicer. And nobody will be able to unsee that now. Like, you really, the streets are almost always wet. Um, I was going to say, too, I I always think of, like, people seeing those big lifts on the streets at night, you know, and there's a poor soul up there with that light, right? Like, how many many watts is that big light? And that's Uh doing the moon or whatever, right? Could be any number of lights. Usually it's 18,000 watts. It's our workhorse, 18K. Do they give off heat when you're up there? Just vertical. Okay. Nothing nothing for the personal. Not in the back there. Like, nope. Okay. No, they're hot physically to touch, but you get none of it in that little cage you're in. So. And it literally is a little world up there, right? Because you're up there for how long? Like, you could be up there for hours. You could be up there for, uh, in our world, the potential is nine hours. Um, we try not to do that to people because that's almost inhuman. But yeah. We... Got your radio. We accommodate them. I have ordered pizza in those things. Oh, my God. That's amazing. We put our money on a rope and lower it down, and we've split pizzas, okay? Um, But, yeah, we get food up to people that way. It's all done on a drop line, and you've got a walkie-talkie. I love that. Yeah. It's a little world. And you know what? There's a lot of hurrying up and waiting up there. Uh, There's a lot of waiting up there. Right? Because you get all prepped, and you get ready to go, and then you might not be needed. Until sundown, let's say. Until sundown, or we call it a turnaround, where you're facing east, and you're the giant moon backlight, and you've got someone lying in wait for when you turn and face west, but that could be three hours from now. So right. the person's just sitting up there, twiddling their thumbs. Or texting, if you're Tony up there. Yeah. Checking in on me and the little boy. Texting, <laughs> movies, DVD players, I've seen it all over the years. Yeah. People used to bring TVs into those things. Come on. Yep, yeah, before much people, cell phones. Right, of course, before yeah. cell phones. Cell phones have saved a lot of, we were talking about that in another one, they've saved a lot of PAs now, right? The hours alone, you now have at least a lifeline, you have your phone. We used to read newspapers on set, and everyone was just head down another. It's true, yeah. I know. I, it's, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, right? Talk to me about poor man's process, James. I have, a, I have an example from Supernatural. I'd love to talk about that because I want to talk about lights with cars. So when you're driving okay. down the street, I think that's a really good one, and I have heard about that one at Supernatural, so I want to talk about it. Kind of the invention. So poor man's process. Poor man's process, uh, known as a PMP. What it is is it's expensive and time-consuming to actually put a car on a trailer, drag it down the street, and have actors interacting with each other. Obviously, potentially dangerous if they're interacting with each other and driving. If you're doing, we call that a free drive. So you do a PMP, and it's you park your vehicle in a studio. You surround it in black, usually if it's a night shot, and you pull out every whirly gig and blinking thing and throw bodies at it to make it look like the car's moving. So you've got streaks of lights going by. Um, you've got people with branches waving them in front of lights. You've got oh, right, lights for on trees. big spinners that make it look like they're going under street lights. It's really hard not to giggle and laugh sometimes because it gets so ridiculous. I've seen 20 people working at once to try and make it look realistic. And the actors are in there having like a, you know, Jensen and Jared in that case are having a serious conversation, you know, a night drive, and you guys are all 
outside, like wiggling and dancing, doing interpretive dance with There's with the uh, branches. Running. We had on a team the craziest rig I've ever seen. It was to simulate a streetlight. It was, I think they shipped it up from Chicago. It was some kind of an air cannon, and it was shooting 1,000 watt light bulbs. Um, I think they were getting up to 60k on a steel rope. What was it supposed to be? Streetlight going overhead of a 40-footer while our heroes were fighting on the 40-footer on a green screen. Oh, man. The sound guys hated us. It was just this <laughs> huge compressor going off and this bang every time it launched. Like at the hockey games when they shoot the shirts up at you. Yeah, it was nuts. And so, and like, there's no manual to make this stuff. Like, maybe that there is, but that car you know, thing for Supernatural, for example, I'm, there's, you're just making that shit up. Each one's different. Okay, we want to make it look like there's headlights in the back. Okay, let's put something on wheels with a couple of lights in the background. Put a guy, no, crouch down lower, crouch down lower, wiggle it back and forth. You know, tail lights going by. Okay, put some red gel on that light and just swing it over their faces now. Let's talk about gels. It's not the gel you think. No, it's, uh, it's a filter that goes on a light to change the color or diffuse it. It looks like colored, like that clear colored paper. You cellophane. So it looks like clear yeah. cellophane, but it's more expensive. Heat resistant, heat resistive, really expensive. Yeah. And uniform. When you purchase some, it's always going to be the same thing over and over and over again. So you'll see on a lighting truck if you're ever walking by. This is good for people because people don't know shit when they walk pretty by a film set half the time. They're, they don't know what any of this stuff is, right? Racks of pretty, pretty racks colors. of gels, yeah. right? And they're and they're like they don't look expensive. They look like nothing. Uh, no, but they've got a value to them, and you don't want to waste them. You spend your time protecting them and yeah, rolling them up nicely. Rolling them up. You get the new. You were talking about what do new people do? They cut gel. Oh, no. Here's a knife. Don't cut your fingers. Just cut it into little squares, pre-cut to go on the lights. Oh, you mean they cut gel? I see. I didn't mean like, oh, no. Okay, that's the roll. No, that's the roll. I mean like they shouldn't be cutting it. Here, go sit at this specific cutting board and Lighting arts and crafts. Yeah. I mean, uh, thanks for the hard work. Yeah. (laughs) And there's like blue ones. Like you can, you know, some of the terminology I know is like half blue and three-quarter, right? That's the photography that's getting into correcting for daylight or tungsten. Yeah, I love tungsten lighting. Uh, so I tungsten lighting, let's describe nice tungsten. Warm yeah, orange glow that um, is really inefficient and basically produces more heat than light. I know. Which is why we're changing to LEDs. All right. Oh, yeah. So an LED is like, you know, I know all the like energy efficient lights you're supposed to have in your house and stuff like this. And we put a bunch in our apartment. And I hate them. They're not tungsten-y, James. They're like a meth house. They're getting better. You just have to buy new ones. I feel like I'm, I'm like, cutting cocaine in my hallway. I'm like, what is this? Every month a new manufacturer comes out, and they're getting better and better, and the colors are getting Why do they have to be like that? Are. Because they're more energy efficient? Um, they just didn't have it right during the manufacturing process, and we all grew up with tungsten and like that warm, cozy feeling. And it took a while, and now... I think they're out there. I've yeah. my house over, and I'm a lighting guy. Okay, well, I'm going to give you... But you I'm have to give my husband some advice. <laughs> well, and I, I... Yeah, LEDs are the future now, right? So that's an interesting advancement in lighting, in the lighting department is switching to LEDs. Yep. And learning more about that. Less power, less generators, uh, but complicated. We're becoming more IT guys than grunts lifting heavy things. Yeah, that's a good point. The light doesn't just have an on and off switch. Now it's got a menu on the back and it's got software that needs updating and right. data that needs to be run and wireless. And it's a whole new world from where we were when I started. 
Yeah. And it's probably even different by country, right? Like, I want to talk to you about Tomorrowland because I know you worked on that. Mm-hmm. He's rolling his eyes, but this is why we're here, James. All right. For COVID to dig in. Um, you worked on Tomorrowland with Clooney, the Clunes. I did. Which is pretty cool. What was your role in Tomorrowland? I was a best boy. Okay. That's a, that's a big role for that film. That was how a... many guy, How many guys and gals? Like, what was the crew for that? In which time zone? True. Good point. Because it shot here, Alberta. Spain? And Orlando. And Orlando. And they went to L.A. I stepped off the show at that point. Yeah. They're really protective down in L.A., so I couldn't have worked down there. They are. Yeah. It's very, it's very, uh, they keep it in the family there. They do. Whereas in Vancouver, it's, you've got a heartbeat? We'll take you. Come (laughs) on. I got a job for you. It's the Canadian way. Yeah. Uh, But that was such a huge movie for its time. I forget the year. What, like 2011, 20? Eight years ago? Yeah, Okay. So maybe a little bit further. But that was so top secret here, right? They built, like, massive green screens or blue screens. Huge. You know, like, you know, in secrecy, and people couldn't get a look at it all. And, of course, having George Clooney in town was a big deal. But you, did you travel with that show? I did the whole thing. I didn't think I was going to. My boss said there was no way I'd be able to. I didn't even have a passport at the time. I didn't have a current passport. And I remember one day he said, come to set. And I said, okay. And we were shooting in... I think Enderby. We were up in Enderby. Northern BC kind of, right? Yep. Um, (laughs) And he said, when you get on that plane the day after tomorrow, you go get your passport. Take the day off. You're coming with me to Orlando. Amazing. That's exciting. And I thought that would be the only place I'd go. And then he said, no, you're going to Spain too. Yeah. Where in Spain? Valencia. Valencia. Yeah. I've always wanted to go there. That's where all the oranges are from. They are, and they've got all these orange trees on the street, the same way we have cherry trees in Vancouver. Yeah. And they all had oranges on them when we were there, and they're inedible. They're oh, really? Decorative oranges. I've never seen decorative oranges before. Doesn't it look weird? Like, we were just in Japan, and there was orange trees, and I'm like, that looks fake. Like, it, that looks like pretend oranges taped on a tree, and that's because we come from the Pacific Northwest, where you'll never have an orange grow. And it did look weird, and then I couldn't I guess it's like us with our cherry trees that don't actually produce fruit. Right, it's there's like, no fruit. You could feed the nation with oranges, but yeah. they just fall on the street and rot and have no flavor. So how come you could travel as a lighting crew? Because that's not common, right? No. That is no. not a common thing. And I know there's a lot of, like, above the line and below the line of, like, who can go with a production? Because you're supposed to hire local, right? That's kind of the idea we, of that. They had matches for us wherever we went. Um, so it just, is it helps. just continuity with the film? Like, you know so that's much. That's what yeah. the boss sold me on. Um, I could give him what he wanted. Yeah. So I was sent everywhere we went. I went two weeks early to prep it, load trucks, find equipment, force the locals to do it our way, because every region's got a different way I was going to ask you about that. Tell me about that, like Orlando versus Spain versus here. I would love to hear that from your perspective. I feel like we've adapted more in Vancouver because our terrain is so different. Uh, From mountains to urban to farmland, you name it, snow. So the way we move equipment, they just put things on shelves in the truck And I was like, well, why don't you put wheels on the shelves and pull the shelves off the truck like we do with carts? And Orlando was like, well, why? All the heavy cable goes into belly bins on the truck, and that drove me nuts. I was like, where are your cable trucks, which are like big hydro trucks here in Vancouver. Right. They don't, we're the only region. Those big ones that look like a spool on the back. Yeah, big spool on the back. Other regions don't use them because I believe it takes more people. Oh, okay. So, like, labor? Labor. They keep their labor working, whereas we just got faster and right. brought more jobs in, Yeah, I feel. Interesting. 
Um, but they were great. The Orlando team was fantastic. Did you get Canadian jokes? I feel like that's always happening. Um, For better or worse. Like, seriously. They were, they were pretty good to me down there. I did have a gun planted on me at one point. What? I didn't like that. Are you serious? Everybody packs. On set? Everybody packs. Jesus Christ. And we shot at NASA, and it was a big deal because the crew wasn't actually from Orlando. They were from Miami. And, of course, they all brought their guns with them. Oh, my but God. But when you shoot at NASA, no alcohol, no drugs, no guns. So I believe one of their wives came up and held all their guns during the day while they were filming. <laughs> and oh, at one point, man. we were on the streets of Orlando, and someone said, hey, can, can you grab my bag off the truck the next time you go? And I was like, yeah, sure. So they grabbed their bag off the truck. I'm like, oh, this is heavy. Maybe there's a laptop in it yeah. or a camera or something. Innocent James. And yeah, and I come back to set, and I'm like, hey, dude, here's your bag. And one of the guys just looks at me and goes, it's a good thing he always keeps his safety on. I'm like, oh, don't do oh, that to me. No. You, yucky. I would not even think of that. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, totally different. There were, I believe that was one of the most dangerous locations I've ever filmed, and not because of the guns. Um, Africanized bees, which are killer bees. They yeah. were at NASA. Alligators everywhere. Bull sharks in the water where we were working. Cottonmouth snake, some kind of snake that was deadly where we were working. And brown recluses and black widows. There was just so many natural... Oh, and wild boars. Sounds like Australia, not Florida. Well, it's wild there. It's crazy. Yeah. And so then you went to Spain after. And I went to Spain. And what was that like? Was that that was probably was that your first time to Europe? Yes. Amazing. Yep. I got paid to go. Doesn't it feel like I the first time I went to Europe and I got off the plane, it felt the whole thing felt like a movie set. It was well where we were shooting, especially it was the City of Arts and Sciences, which is a unique spot inside of Valencia. Designed by, oh, I can't think of the architect's name, Calatrava, I think, something like that. Very space age looking place. There's like a half a dozen giant white gleaming buildings that are all sleek and smooth. And yeah, so just the job site was wild. Because I read they didn't want to recreate, it was too expensive to recreate all this stuff. So they kind of had to find these places. Yeah. Right? Um, very cool. How was Clooney? Did you get to be around him? Um, he's a dude. He's it's a dude. You guys are all the same when yeah. I ask these questions. It's just people. I'm yeah. not giving up, though. No, he's just a person came up with the job. I know, I know. I'm hoping for something else one day, but everybody says the same thing. I guess it's, like, reassuring, right? They're just people. Yeah. And you worked on Star Trek, too. I did. Beyond, Second right? Second unit. Yeah. Second unit, best boy. These are big films, right? These are big films. I guess you don't think of it at the time. It's just your job. Yeah, it's true. deal with this. I know. It's just lighting. I get it. Yeah. How, how is the lighting different for that, though? That's like seriously sci-fi. Was that a lot of studio then? For... For Star Trek. Star Trek. Um, combo. We make places look like outer space. Uh, a rock quarry out in Pitt Meadows was an alien landscape. Um, old Boundary in Kent, down at the bottom of Boundary, that big industrial lot that used to be there. Yeah. That was another spacescape. And, and, you, and you're coming across different kinds of lighting situations, or is it all pretty tried and true at this point? Um, poor man's process, but in outer space. You have Love it. You have lights moving around and trying to make it look like there's a lot of action going on when you're in a green screen. Would you do those, like, in a spaceship, let's say, all the motherboards and stuff? Is that more special effects, or is that lighting? You know, everything's lighting up. and uh, It's a combo of set deck working with our department, 
set uh, specifically in our department set wiremen. Those are our electricians that sit on benches and wire gadgets and things all day long and make sure it's all done to code. And a little bit of props thrown in if the actor is handling them. Yeah, you don't think about all the kind of, there's some overlap on things. It's not clean cut in that sense. You kind of have to jam together. No, because what, say, an artist in the set deck or props department sees something and goes, oh, this will look great. As a lighting technician, you know it's going to look terrible because it could actually flicker on camera or not be bright enough or not be dark enough. It could be way too bright. So we come in and we just help massage and clean it up. And And I would say probably like like tech scouts are helpful for that, right? So let's tell people what a tech scout is because you're actually prepping a bit ahead for that. Tech scouts are bus rides. I was just going to say, everybody gets on a school bus. It's like school. Um... You've Nobody drives their Porsche to the tech scout? Come on. Oh, the producers do. Okay. But Not everybody's getting on that fucking bus, James. No, we get on, the bulk of us get on the bus. Um, so the scouts have already been done. The director knows where they want to go, and now it's our turn as technicians to get in there in advance and go, okay, what are the challenges of this place? Like this little booth we're in. Okay, there's those overhead lights up there. I know those are LEDs. They're He's probably, talking about the booth we're in right now. The booth we're in right now. Right now. They're probably going to flicker on film, so let's just turn those off. We'll get set deck in here with our set wiremen and put some of ours in there. Yeah, people think all the lights in a room are just the lights that were there. Nope. We like make, a bar. We those, I know room. now. All those little beautiful lamps on all the cocktail tables. Some poor bastard had to go and take out all the lights in there and wire it for oh, film. Sticky, gross, dirty bars. Yeah. Yeah, bars, right? You know, there's windows out here. We're on the third floor. Okay, get, let's get a lift out there so that when it does get dark, we'll have a light coming out here. We'll need a parking spot for it. Talk to locations. Get the parking spot reserved. Get the permit from the city. Right. Can we put a generator out there? No, we can't. Okay, let's find a way to get power in here. Maybe we'll just use the house power from the library. So much problem solving. Yep. Right? And that's just lighting. Everyone else has their own deal. To, well, they have their own problem yeah. solving, right? Yeah, every department. Sound would have their own stuff. And, yeah, Sound exactly. never goes on surveys. They hate that. Do they? Uh, yeah, they're, they're never invited. Why yeah. is that? Um, because they're usually on set working at the time. Yeah, fair enough. And when you're on a tech scout, you ha- like if you're the gaffer, then you have somebody else that's a gaffer for that day on set, right? To yeah. cover you. Yep, unless uh, if you're doing episodic television because you're constantly shooting and shooting, whereas for a feature film... You could do a month of tech scouting. Just prep time. Because you're going to shoot the whole thing at once, so you prep it all at once. Right. As opposed to this constant cycle of prepping the next episode, prepping the next episode. For uh, Tomorrowland, I got to go on a lot of the tech scouts, and instead of a bus, it was a plane flying to Enderby, flying here. I was like, what are we doing? This is To nuts. these remote locations. Yep. Yeah. I didn't get... I'd, didn't get to do the full tech scout for Spain. I just kind of landed there in Orlando, but... Yeah, you're thinking of everything you can in advance. Where's the sun going to be in three months? Oh, nuts. It's going to be behind that building over there. Okay, let's accommodate for that. And more sun in Orlando and Valencia for sure. Uh, You're probably like, what is this thing in the sky? I usually create this with a light. (laughs) Uh, Orlando was hot and sticky. Yeah. It was just humid. Yeah. But Spain was... The weather was great for January. Yeah, of course. Nice to get out of Vancouver. Oh, those, of course. When you can go on location like that, that's amazing. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of these other movies. You did a lot, okay? You did a lot. You did The Company You Keep, and I howled because Robert Redford's in this one. And I read. And he directed some, it. Did he, and he directed it, okay. And I read something online on the way here, and I howled 
to myself on the SkyTrain coming in here, that somebody came up and was like, when's Robert Redford showing up there at the art gallery or something? And the, the crew member said, it's on Redford time. Uh, yep, yeah, he <laughs> he took naps. I just howled. I was like, it's on Redford time. Yeah. I want, you should just start saying that on set. That's amazing. We'd come back from lunch. Okay, ready to work. Where's our director? He's napping. Okay. Oh, my God. That was fantastic. That was, who was in that? Like, everyone was in that. Shia LaBeouf? Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Pre-crazy? Uh, going crazy. Um, <laughs> Nick Nolte, Julie Nolte. Christie, Susan Sarandon, um, Sam Elliott. It I don't think like, it did that well, and that's a powerhouse crew. No, it was like. And he's an amazing director. Nolte was there. Oh, yeah, he was great. Yeah. It was a fun film to work on. I just howled. It's Redford time. Everybody, you can start using that now. It's a Vancouverism. And Red Riding Hood, I thought was cool. I know Leonardo kind of helped produce that, and that was in a lot besides something Tony was working on years ago. But that was kind of cool. 2011, I think. There's so much stuff up here, right? Like you forget how big these films are until you start. Until I start embarrassing you on here and reading them all out, and you're like cringing. But I just remember lighting setups and horrible. Oh, we had to get that machine into there, and it was. Lots you just get PTSD flashbacks from yeah. the show. Yeah. I'm just asking about the excitement. You're like, don't ask me about the lights on that one. Yeah. And now you're on Supergirl. We're kind of come full circle, Supergirl. right? Yep. And how's that? How's that been? It's great. Yeah. It's great. I had been besting for 15 years, and I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. So I was kind of looking for a crew, and I landed with my buddy Dave McClung. He took me in as I was roving around, somewhat kicking and screaming, and said, okay, you're going to gaff the second units. I don't know if I want to gaff right now. Yeah. And he said, no, you're going to do this. And I've been doing it, what are we on? We're on season five right now, so four years for me. And I love it. It's a great team. Yeah. uh, Great talent, productions. I'm still working on it, so I have to be really nice. Yeah, of course. No, no. Everything's fine. It's it's a good, it's a really good space to work. Yeah. We started off tough, all episodic. Every show is tough getting off the ground. Yeah. Because as you get people getting to know each other and gelling, we were... 14 hours, 16 hours, mm-hmm. just running our butts off, and then... You get a cadence, right? Yeah. And we just like anything. found our footing, and our wonderful talent a couple of years ago put their foot down and said, no more Fratter Days. I, I love the term. I'm going to make a t-shirt uh, for Vantropolis with Fratter Days on it. Yeah. Um, those wonderful women said, we are not going to do this anymore. And that kind of took the crew with them. So They kind of have to, right? And it, it takes a couple seasons for them to get the power and the confidence yep. to be able to say, okay, that's enough. Yep. Right? Um, it kind of turns as things get more successful and they have that autonomy. Yeah, and they just figured out the scheduling and we are now, I would say, the best show in town. People want to come and yeah. work on our show because they know they're going to get home to their families and their lives. Well, and also, like... There's no, you know, drama on your team because I know my husband's worked with you lots. Um, like, oh, there's always drama. Well, I don't. I mean, personal drama. So, like, you know, people talk about shows and then people talk about crews. And film crews don't go to shows; they go to crews. They don't pick a show because of what it is. It's who am I going to yep. work with every single day? Yep. I don't really care about what the show is. There's, yeah. there's not that cachet. How it, dysfunctional is your family? Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? It doesn't matter how fancy, quote-unquote, the show is on, you know, on Entertainment Tonight. Oh, if, no. if the crew's yeah, shit, you're fucking out of there, yeah. right? Yeah. And people don't think about that. Like, you're not, you're not bragging rights about the show as a film, you know, no, slugging it. it's your yeah. team and your craft. That's why you're Because you're there so much. Yeah. Shoulder to shoulder. 
And if you can't get along with people, you're just not going to stick around. That's right. Well, they, they clean house every season. All kinds of shows clean house. You'd, it's like, where's so-and-so? Oh, yeah. So-and-so's not coming back. I know. You just get the letter that says, we would like to welcome this person to the team. <laughs> well, where'd the other But sometimes there's go? cheers when those letters come. Oh, yeah. Come on. There's some still lots of pricks. I know you can't say as much. I'm not in film, so I'm just going to run my mouth. You, so you're getting your 20-year IATSE pin. This is what you've told me. This is pretty... Oh, yeah. I got it. Isn't it funny that you think that's going to be, like, so far away? Like, people that say they've done anything for 20 years sounds like a grandpa. And then you're like, holy shit, that's me. Yeah, I get called grampy on set. Do you? Yeah. Who calls you that? My wonderful friend, Laura May Taylor, started <laughs> calling me grampy, and I just let it slide. <laughs> and then I came home this week, one day, and in the pile of flyers and bills at my front door... That you never thing. get to in film? No, you kind of check them on the weekends. Yeah. There's this one little envelope from my ad and I open it up and it said, thank you for your service. How does that feel? How do you feel about that? I realized I've spent half my life doing this. Yeah. Because you don't, in many jobs, you don't get that sort of, you don't get a pin, you know? It felt kind of small. The pin? For the amount of time you put into <laughs> You're it. Like, You're like, this is like, the pin? This is what I got. Are you going to wear it? All right. Maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Tony gets those little union stamps. I'm like, what do you do with these? He's like, I don't know. Like, you pay your dues and you You're get them. You're supposed to put them on your card. Okay, I'm going to tell him. Tell him he's breaking rules. In some world, you're supposed to be able to produce that card at any moment on a job site. Well, and that brings up a point. You're, you're like, never a, you've never, no one's, why don't do you start that. doing that on Monday? Just scare the shit out of people. Just go and say, can I see your union card? I'm do- I have to do, because you're a chief steward, right? I'm shop steward. Shop steward, steward. sorry, sorry. Yep. And let's talk about what that is, because I think that's an important role in the union and on a crew. Shop steward is you are representing the union on a film set. So if the employees that are unionized have a problem, you have a bit of protection. Uh, you can go to production, you can sort things out, you can report back to the union. And you've usually got experience, so you're just helping the new people figure out how to manage the world of expectation versus what is actually going to happen. Yeah, like what's a legitimate gripe, where to, where to like yeah. beat the drum and where don't. As opposed to, well, on the show I was on last time, the sandwiches came out at this... Well, that's lovely. You should go back to that show. <laughs> There's nothing in the contract that says that. And then my brother's in craft, he's like, shut the fuck up! Yeah. Don't tell me when the sandwiches came out! Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, it's great. And I, I'm very fortunate on Supergirl. They want to play by the rules, and they want to keep the employees happy. So yeah. we're spoiled rotten over there. That's great. And yeah. you that's a role. Do you get elected into that role? Do you offer yourself up for that role? Should be elected because everybody should be really motivated to go and do that role. But who wants to be the complaint well, yeah, department? Exactly. And that's is it unpaid? Uh, you get a stipend. Okay. But we all know what that means. That's... Sweet that's, FA. Yeah, that's honorable. Uh, yeah. To that's not why you do it. Coach people with their complaints and put them in the right spot. And you're just running interference between crew members sometimes. Just yeah. going, okay, you said this, you said that. Just can you kiss and make up? Yeah. And not make this a big deal where one of you or both of you are going to get canned. Yeah. That and can is that just for your department? <laughs> nope, this this role? This is for the whole set? Yep. Okay, so yeah. for example, with Supergirl, it's everybody. Yeah. That's a big thing. That's a lot to take on. Yeah, we've, um, Supergirl's experimented. We've had two shop stewards before, which was great. 
and I had some backup because I do main unit and second unit, so I'm bouncing back and forth. I can't physically right. be there if something goes wrong, so I might be on another stage. So it was great having two of us there. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. That's awesome. It's a thing. Well, who else but Grampy to be doing that job? No. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate oh. it. People just keep showing up. I know I say it over and over again, but if you know how long and hard people work in film, to then come on a Saturday and see me, I'm chuffed. And so what do you think you're going to be doing in another 20 years? Still this? Going to get your 40-year pin? Is there one? Oh, God. I don't think we last that long. No? <laughs> That's sort of funny and sort of not funny. Because it's true. Like, you know, maybe they don't even have to make them, James. Maybe I'll be retired on a beach somewhere. That would be nice. Maybe back in Valencia. I could handle that. But find a tree with oranges you can eat. I feel yeah. like that's the only that's the only piece of advice I would give you. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, subscribe, or share it with someone you love. Or don't love. Just share it.